know, it's always good to be in God's house, even if this is the second time being behind the pulpit. The first time I was behind the pulpit, it was in Haiti. He did say about that. And uh, one thing he didn't tell you is that I was the only white person in the congregation at that time. This is a little bit different than when I was in Haiti. I mean, everyone can understand what I'm saying. So, I mean, I, so y'all know when I'm nervous and when I'm not nervous. Back then in Haiti, only one translator knew when I was nervous. Uh, but I'm going to pray real quick to invite the Holy Spirit just to uh, move within the Spirit and move within us. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to your house this morning. We just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit just come down upon us, Father. That you would just uh, allow us to open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts, Father, Lord. That we would grow closer to you. That we would understand your scriptures and to understand what you have in store for us, Father. Lord, I know, Lord, that we are uh, mere servants, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would just use us in ability, Lord, that would be uplift and praise to your name. Father God, just remove all my nervousness and and. Remove myself, and Lord, let your, your Holy Spirit just speak through me, Father. We thank you and we praise your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm just curious. Who remembers July 20th, or July 16th through the 24th, mainly just the 20th, July 20th, 1969? Does anyone remember that? Was anyone alive in 1969? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just curious. In July 20th, 1969, there was the first of about, I believe, six things that's ever happened to the human race. And one thing important to the United States, July 20th, 1969, is when the first man landed on the moon. Does anyone remember those two men that landed on the moon? It was Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin. There was three men that were involved within that mission. There was a new who Michael Collins is. Raise your hand. Michael Collins. Does anyone recognize this man? He did not land on the moon, actually, but he was with them. Michael Collins, his job, his main job was to command the module pilot that orbited around the moon. While Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong were the first two men to land on the moon. So while Michael Collins was orbiting around the moon, he orbited around 21 hours, 21.5 hours. His job was to keep that module in orbit. Make all things are, are in, in, in tune with, with all things, all the, the little jets and the things. I'm not a space man, I'm not a scientist or astrophysicist or anything like that, but all those little knobs, those, those expensive things. Keep all the things in orbit, to keep that thing in orbit for the return of these two important individuals that have made a large step for mankind. So as he's orbiting around the moon for 21 hours, he's the only one up there, but his main job was to make sure that these two men got back safely. And as a result, these two men get, did get back safely and became the first two humans to land on the moon. For as many as y'all didn't raise your hand who didn't know Mr. Uh, Michael Collins, I didn't really know who he was either until I was doing a little bit of research. He's oftenly forgotten by us. By uh, human people, we did. We we noticed uh, Neil Armstrong is a household name, along with Buzz Aldrin is a household name. We know who know who these men are. But Michael Collins somehow slips our minds. But everyone focuses on Buzz Aldrin and and Neil Armstrong. I'm saying this because a lot of times within the church, we forget a lot of things. We forget who God is, and we forget who we are. 
We become complacent and without worship and, and adoration. We come into church services Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Going through the emotions, going through muscle memory, traditions. Forgetting who, who we really come to worship and we really forget who we are. God deserves more than just a weekly motions and weekly muscle memory and traditions. So I ask you as we go on a little adventure onto scripture. And keep your fingers warm because we'll be turning in a couple of slides. So I want you to just keep this in mind. Who is it that you worship? And who is God to you? Who is God to you? So turn to Psalms chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Here in the Psalm, David, David's speaking, and he's giving a declaration to God. He's giving an announcement for God's arrival, an announcement for God's glory. So in verse 1, it states, And the heavens declare the glory of God. And as we stated, as we stated in the end, uh, as the picture shows up on the screen, this is just one of many pictures and, and things that we can see the heavens that, that declares God's glory. So the heavens declare, it's an announcement for God's glory. And the firmament, the skies, showeth his handiwork that showeth what God is doing. So day unto day, utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There is no speech that these, these stars and these suns and, and the, the sky that is shown that everyone can see it. Everyone can see this speech. Everyone knows this language of God's handiwork. Verse 4. Their line is gone out throughout the world. They're covering. The, the, the skies are covered out through all the world. There's not just little spots of sky, little spots here or there, but it covers the whole world. Their line is going out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It comes to all places. That every, everyone can see these wonderful handiworks that God has done. Now I want you to notice in verse, the, the last part of 4, continuing on to 6. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man that runneth for race. So he makes, a, he makes an analogy here for the sun. He's saying that when it rises in the east, it's like a, like a, a groom that's waiting for his bride. And it rejoices as a strong man that's running for a race, a man that's, that's trained hard and he's ready for that race and he's going to win that race. Verse 6 is going forth. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and a circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. For the sun is when, when King David is speaking and he's writing this psalm, he's speaking of the sun. But I want, to know, I want you to know something else within that scripture. He's not only making a notice for the sun, but he's no, making a note for God's glory. For God's glory cometh like a bridegroom in his chamber, rejoicing. He rejoices as a strong man, ready to run the race. He goes forth from the end of the heaven in a circuit unto the ends of it. And there's nothing hid from the heat thereof of God's glory. God's glory, this is an example that God's glory is the most visible and obvious of his creation. So within all of God's creation, seeing, seeing his works, seeing the stars, seeing the things that he has done with his magnitude of thereof, shouldn't it be easy to love and worship this type of God? Should it be easy to worship this true creator that has made all these wonderful things, that has truly shown the glory that he has? So I want, to point out, I want to point out a few things. 
And we're going to kind of get a little bit more of a characteristic, three things with the, we're going to analyze about God. So in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it states, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the first thing about God, the first thing we need to know about God, God is holy. He is truly holy. It states there, and one cried to another. As we are here in fellowship, I hope that uh, as we come in God's house and throughout our day-to-day lives, I hope you're crying. God is truly holy within our actions and through our words. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then we also look back in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, there is none holy as the Lord. There's none. No one. You may, see, you may see yourselves as holy as you go about your day-to-day life. Oh, man, I, I did good on that test. I, I, oh, man, I did perfect. You know, I, you know, bump yourself up. You know, oh, I got a promotion at work. That's awesome. You know, bump yourself up. No. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. There is none beside you. No one can compare. You are incomparable, God. You, there is no rival to you. Neither is there any rock like our God. Solid foundation, the rock of our God. So he is set aside from humanity. He is different from us. God is holy. He, we, we cannot compare to God's holiness. Then we go back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 again. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now if you, which I'm not, obviously I'm not Jewish, so I don't know much about the Jewish culture by just the research that I've done, but within the Jewish culture, there's a little bit of significance behind this scripture. In Jewish culture, the number three represents truth, represents perfection. The number three. So if you say here, it also mentions in Revelation chapter 4, but here it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he is saying that God is perfectly set apart. There is none equal or none rival to God, but he is set aside and perfectly holy. Perfectly holy. No one is like him. We cannot ever be like God. But he is perfectly holy. Today, with te- there's, there's worldly teachings, new age teachings of, of self-help, false teachings of, of the better you, the new self-transcendence trying to become, your, become basically a self-god. Your pride is swallowing up. But as Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all we have all fallen short of God's glory. Not only is God holy, but God is eternal. In Psalm 102, Psalm chapter 102, in verses 25 through 27, it states, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth. From the beginning of time, God has set down what his plan is set forth for the motion for he is eternal he has set forth a plan of salvation before the beginning of time of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands have we have already discussed they shall perish but thou shall endure yea all of them shall wax of old garment 
as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. So he's saying, you've created the heavens, you, you've, you've created this magnificent glory, as you saw the picture before, of all these creations, all these stars, and all these galaxies, these things that you've made, this creation that you've made into, these beautiful trees, the mountains, this magnificent glory that you revealed. And what does he say there? That they shall perish? But then he continues on, that thou shalt endure forever. All these things, all these magnificent things, all, all these heavens and, and the mountains, the things that he's made, they shall wax old. We're going to perish. I hate to tell you folks, but I'm dying every day. Every one of you all has a, has a time. It may be when you leave after the service, or it may be 20, 30, 80 years from now. We're all going to wax old. We're all going to perish, just like an old garment, an old vesture. But 27, it says, and thou art the same, and thy years shall never end. A year shall have no end. One thing to go further into God's eternal is a few things. For God is omniscient. I know I could say this with my parents being here, but I was a, a rambunctious wild child. My parents, my parents probably didn't know that, but I kept things from from them, you know, I was probably stole a little bit here, stole a little bit there, but and I know my parent I know my parents are smart enough. I know that when when they said, What do you got there? Nothing. No, I got nothing. Or it's like what what did you do? Did you did you do something? No, I didn't do that. But I know my parents are smart enough to know that I'm lying. That I'm a little child that just uh, just likes to do his own thing. But Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest, nor that is seen in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him that with whom we have no due. So even though my parents, they, they knew that I was lying. They knew that, that when I did something wrong, that I was trying to hide it. And, and uh, they could see through me like water. They knew that I was lying. But with God, he truly knows all things. He is truly omniscient. He sees our nakedness. And just as in the garden with Adam and Eve, with their nakedness in, in physical form, but also in spiritual form that their sin was seen, also with their nakedness in physical form as well. God sees us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows when we're trying to hide it, even though when no one else knows about our sins, about our actions. We try to hide pornography, we try to hide alcoholism, we try to hide adultery, we try to hide these things from God, but no, it cannot, it cannot be seen by man sometimes, but it can be seen from God. Nothing is hid from God. He is omniscient. He sees all. All of our nakedness is revealed. Not as only God omniscient, he is omnipotent. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, 16 and 17, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He created everything, and because of him all things consist. But what does this mean, all things consist? You mean this is that I will last forever, but we got to look at Jesus, for by all things, consist he before all things, and by him consist, if we, he is the all-power giving God, 
And if we rely fully on Christ, we will truly consist. Through Jesus, will it, will we eternally consist, not within ourselves. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, through your faith in Christ, not of yourselves. But not as only God holy, God is eternal. But we also have to remember that God is also omnipresent as well. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipotent, excuse me, and omnipresent. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3, we make a look here. It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Behold the evil and the good. So he beheld, he holds, he sees all things. From the beginning of time, from as we have already stated before, before the earth was even formed, he had a plan set forth, a, a healing action for a, re, a regeneration of our souls. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees everything. For when we say that God is eternal, he, he is ceaseless. He is truly endless. He is not subject to change. This is obviously like we've seen before. This is, this is indifferent from us. We obviously don't know everything. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipotent. We obviously can't create stars out of existence. We, we try to uh, make ourselves the best that we can a, a, a lot of times. We try to uh, be the better man out of everything. Pride sets hold. We're not omnipresent. I can't go back in 1942. I can't go back to 19, 1969 and see Michael Collins orbiting around the moon. I can't do all these things. But this shows an eternal God, a God that is more holy, more gracious, and more eternal than we ever could even imagine. But God is holy, God is eternal, but God is also a personal God. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, But when the fullness of time was come, so when the time has fully come that Jesus shall come. You know, there, was, there was a time frame that Jesus should come. This was the perfect time to set forth. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Adoption. What, what, is that, what does that mean? I know we, we understand that. With, I think uh, my, my sister and brother-in-law, they're going through an adoption right now. An adoption that someone set, a, set apart from blood. Set apart that someone that is not of your family, but you're taking them in upon your family. In verse 6, And because of your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son unto your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So when we see, we see this as a personal God, a God that is endless, a God that is holy, someone that is, that is never changing, a God that can do all these things, but he yet is a personal God. We, are, we, were, all spiritual, we were all spiritual slaves to sin. And at times we, we still are slaves. But through Christ we become adopted through these through the action of faith. And we become heirs to this personal God. And Abba, that also is a translation as a father, a connection. 
a more personal connection with your uh, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. An heir, someone that receives benefits from their Father. Someone that receives all these things that the, that the Father have to, has to give to his sons. All the benefits that the son had and the adopted son has as well. Even though they are not of the same blood, they still receive the same gifts. One thing I'd like to show you, I think I've showed a few, I think I've showed Mark and a couple others here. Uh, but I want to show you guys something in, in Genesis chapter 5. There's a genealogy, a genealogy that sets forth from, uh, starts with Adam, which is the first man, and goes all the way to Noah. And this is an example of God's holiness and God's eternalness and God being a personal God throughout all of Scripture. And so in, in Genesis chapter 5, it, it comes out and it starts off with, the, with Adam. And in Hebrew translation, within, within these names, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a translation. And the Hebrew translation of Adam is man. And so Adam had a son. His name was Seth. And Seth, in translation, is appointed. Enos is mortal. Canaan is sorrow. Mahalalel, praise God. Jared means came down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the desperate. And Noah means comfort. Now if you read these all in a sentence, you get the man is appointed, mortal, sorrow. The blessed God came down teaching his death shall bring the desperate comfort. And I'm not saying to, to take this and to go back to John 3, 16, all these verses and try to find a hidden meaning. What I'm saying is, is that even back, you can go all the way to Genesis chapter 5 and you see a holy God. that He sets forth a plan before the beginning of time. A plan for Christ to come and sent a redeemer for our souls. And not only is a holy God, it's the eternal God. Because you see it in Genesis all the way to Revelation, the plan is the same. Not only is he holy eternal, but he is also personal. As this plan of salvation is even sent throughout a genealogy meaning. God is personal. He sets forth this plan of Jesus Christ coming within names. God is truly holy. We would be foolish to think that we could understand God be foolish to. That's why we come to church every Sunday. I, I hope this is why you come to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night is to, to, to learn more about God and to understand God further within your life. But we would be truly foolish to think that within our 80 year lifespan, within our 75, uh, that would be awesome if you lived 110. Within these time frames on our life, you would be foolish to think. You'd be crazy to think that you could understand God completely during your lifetime. If you think that, I, 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 I would truly pray for you. But if you truly think that, this would put an end, an end to God's power and to God's knowledge. If we put a limit within our lifespan, within our knowledge, within our capabilities to understand who God is and how God is and how he responds and who, how eternal and how holy he is, this would put a limit at God and God wouldn't be 
anything. But let me tell you something, that we can never truly understand God. You can go through all these scriptures. You're learning something new every day. I, you can take John 3.16 and get five different meanings. And then ten years from later, you get 20 different meanings. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Will God dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. For the heavens and, and the stars, it's vast. It's, you know, this little small little planet of earth is so small compared to the rest of the universe. And, and, and God chose us to, to send a son and, and, to, and to abide with us on, in this earth. The heavens cannot even contain. This, the vast space of, of, of the universe can't contain God. How much less can this house that I've built, how much less this house that I've built? We would be silly to think that we could truly understand God. But we need to try. We truly, truly need to try. So let me go back to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm almost done. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3 four and five. We'll read that again. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me. For I am clean, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. We're living in an age of uncleanness. We've always been unclean from the beginning of time. Since we've been born. Born into sin. But we're an unclean people per worshiping a perfect God. But only through God's redemptive, regenerative grace can we truly Understand just a glimpse of God and who He is. God is truly holy. God is eternal and God is personal. So my challenge is to, to please pause before, before you even worship, before you even to get into Scripture, before you come to church, to analyze what you are truly coming to do. What are you truly, what is your goals when you come to church? What is your goals before you study? What is your goals before living your day-to-day -day life? Are you living it to, to worship this God that, he, that truly deserves our praise? Or are you doing it just to, to uplift and, and put yourself on a pedestal? You can't become God. You can't create the heavens. You can't move a mountain into existence. You can't sit here into dirt and, and spit and make someone to see. You can't make the lame to walk. And you can't bring redemptive grace. So look to God. Look to Christ and see who are you worshiping. And I pray that, Lord, that you would just allow Christ to move within your life and to let people see that you are worshiping a truly holy God. So our Father in heaven, Lord, we just come to you tonight, Father. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. You are truly magnificent. 
God that has done so much for us, Father, Lord, and even times when we don't even realize. And we put, a lot of times we, we shove you to the side and we, when we want to be first, Father. But Lord, I thank you for your mercy, Lord, that you allow us to still return to your, to your presence. We would just analyze your house and, and that you still allow us to, to worship your name, Father God. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would just analyze and that we would look at our lives and see what are we truly doing with it. Are we truly worshiping you, Father, or are we truly worshiping the God of the heavens that deserve all the praise, everything that we have? Are we truly pouring out ourselves and letting you take control of our lives? Or are we just passing day by day, not letting you have any word or any say within our actions, within our words? Lord, I pray over the congregation, Father God. I pray over those that are willing to sacrifice a Sunday night. that is able to come and, and to hear your word, Father God. Lord, I thank you so much, Father in heaven, for all that you've done for us and all that you will do for us, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you will just help us to understand that we need to get into your scripture further. Dig deep, hills in, and study your word. Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Jesus, for all that you've done and all that you will do in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name.